This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi and is sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Big Y Pharmacy and Wellness Center, Bradford Eye Center, Coveris, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You're encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessio on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information and answers all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and welcome to this full one-hour live show, uh, which is uh, kind of a rarity now at this season because we're doing so much with basketball. So we have a full hour and we're going to open up the phone lines. Let me keep giving you the numbers, 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. That's 966-WTIC. And if you wish to, you could actually go on the Internet, shoot me a quick email at info at alessimd.com, and we'll answer your questions on the air. Uh, I've been looking forward to this program because – uh, our guest in the studio is going to be Dr. Mary Gina Ratchford of the Ratchford Eye Center. And Dr. Ratchford, we wanted to talk with her about some of the breakthroughs in, I guess, what would be considered biblical in making the blind see. And uh, there are new genetic therapies coming through that are breakthroughs. But we're going to also talk about some of the eye changes we go through as we get older and things we can be doing. Uh, last week, I had the pleasure of working with the folks at the Professional Bull Riders Tour at Madison Square Garden. Uh, just a great group of athletes who really get it in the sense of what it's all about. Uh, you know, just in the beginning, uh, they're doing a lot to honor veterans, honor first responders who put their lives on the line every day. And it was just refreshing to be around them and to see what a great sport it is. These are phenomenal athletes, uh, and uh, it was just a great show. And I'll be joining them again later on in their tour uh, in Billings, Montana, in a few weeks. Uh, this day in medicine, January 13, 1867, Dr. Francis Townsend was born. Now, Dr. Townsend was interesting. He's an American physician who, in 1934 got 25 million signatures to a petition. And his petition was to the federal government that we should pay everyone over the age of 60 $200 a month. And we would make that money by imposing a 2% business tax. Now you have to understand, this is 1934, right? So we're in the Depression. But it was actually superseded one year later. So the federal government and... Franklin Roosevelt heard what he was saying, and that's when Social Security was started in 1935. So, again, it's one of those things, Social Security paying money to a, a pension for all Americans who work that you pay into now uh, while you work. But it was an insurance program that was put together in 1935. I think, you know, after a while we start thinking that it was there forever. And what we don't understand is – it's not there in every country. Uh, so we hear about it a lot in European countries, 
But there are many countries that are developing nations that don't have a Social Security. So when you are elderly and you cannot work, uh, you have no income. So it's very interesting. So that's the Townsend plan, and he was born today, January 13th in 1867. Well, everybody's hitting the gym now. Uh, as you can tell, if you go to a gym regularly, you're waiting online for your regular machine and to get your workout in. Well, one of the things to bear in mind, and, and we've said it before in this program, is start out slowly. It's not a question of that really intense exercise. I mean, that's good, but even just light exercise, doing household chores, can increase your longevity. I mean, that's really what it's about, is when you want to measure things, let's measure, can I live longer if I do this? And it's absolutely certain now that medical studies have shown that regular exercise helps you live longer. If you get up to moderately vigorous exercise, uh, and that's like using an elliptical or a stationary bike for 30 minutes a day, recent studies show you could increase your longevity by 50%. That's a lot of time. So you could buy yourself time by exercise. But the point of my article in the Norwich Bulletin this week was really get back to basics. The first one is stand up more. The human body was made to stand. That's the way our spine is shaped. Sitting is an unnatural position for us. So start spending time standing more. If at work, you can modify your workstation so that you stand up for extended periods of time. This is going to add, again, to your longevity. So there are a lot of simple things you could do. I'm not even going to touch on the negative things that you every we all need to cut out of our lives. Things like smoking and alcohol use. So with that, I wish everyone a healthy new year, and let's see if more of us can just get on the track. Uh, one of the things that you're going to hear about in the news, it was in the news today, actually, was a six-year-old Florida boy who has rabies. Now, rabies is a virus, and we've always thought about it transmitted by dogs. In this case, it was from a bite from a bat. So when we think of rabies, we think of the rabies vaccine. Someone gets bitten, they get the vaccine, and you start building an immunity that kills the virus. If you wait too long and don't get the vaccine, as is the case with this six-year-old, the virus affects the brain and results in seizures, hallucinations, weakness, inability to move extremities. What they're attempting is a somewhat controversial treatment that was started in 2004 called the Milwaukee Protocol. And basically, what they do is put the brain to rest. Okay, so you put somebody in a medically induced coma and try to give the body some time to build its own immunity. They make a cocktail of a lot of antiviral drugs, but we don't know that any of those work. We don't really have good evidence that this works, this protocol works. They've given it to about 80 people. They report about 18 survivors, most of them in Peru, where this is a bigger problem. But the point is sometimes in medicine we do things that we don't necessarily have absolute proof for. But it's kind of like the Hail Mary pass, and, and that's the case with this six-year-old. Uh, we've had three people recently live with rabies, after this protocol, um, and 
it'll be an interesting story to follow uh, because it involves so many immune systems, and hopefully this child will be able to build up antibodies to destroy this virus that has affected his brain. Uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that story. Uh, the last story I wanted to talk about today was one that was in the paper this week here in Connecticut. And uh, this is a case of a woman named Emily Byrne versus the Avery Center for Obstetrics and Gynecology. And it is about the doctor-patient confidentiality. Essentially, in 2005, um, the Avery Center, the physicians at the Avery Center, were uh, administered a subpoena. They were served with a subpoena in their office. So you have to see how this works in your, in your office, okay? They send a marshal in the waiting room, to serve you with papers. So right away, everybody in the waiting room thinks, man, this guy did something wrong, right? You immediately think they did, you did something wrong when the marshal shows up. So they show up, give you this subpoena, and it's a subpoena for records, meaning you have to send your records off to some court place, okay, in an official way. So you've got to take time, stop what you're doing. Somebody in your office has to gather up the records. You have to sign the records as a physician in blue ink, okay, so that it looks official, and then they get sent off to the court. What they didn't know, and I didn't know until yesterday when I called my daughter, who's an attorney over at uh, Litchfield Cabo, I had to call her to figure out what did they do wrong. What they did wrong was apparently a subpoena is not enough to get those records. The marshal showing up with the subpoena is not enough. You So the physician somehow should have known that you don't have to respond to that subpoena, but only if it was a court order. I didn't go to law school, okay? I could have made this mistake. These physicians did not want to violate this woman's rights. I'm certain of it. But unfortunately, they they sent the records to probate, and it was a divorce case and, and, a, and a child case. It, it was a disaster. So now these physicians are being sued, okay, it, because they breached patient confidentiality. I'm sorry, folks. I don't buy it, okay? I just don't buy it. We didn't go to law school. We get paid to take care of patients and to maintain confidentiality. There is no way I could have fallen victim to this as much as probably 90% of the physicians I know would have sent the records when you get served in this official manner and not known that only by court order do you have to do it. So with that, it, it's just I, I want our listeners to get a feel for what we're putting up with in a doctor's office these days and why it is so hard to practice medicine as a private physician in the state of Connecticut. And maybe some of our legislators will be listening to this. Next up, we're going to be getting back and we're going to be chatting with Dr. Mary Gina Ratchford of the Ratchford Eye Center. And we're going to talk about diseases of the eye and some hopeful new treatments. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. That is the Bowser Doo-Wop Show, uh, which is coming to the Mohegan Sun. Um, he will be there tomorrow. This is a really popular show. And 
it, it really gets a lot of folks there. So if you're around and you want to head over to the Mohegan Sun, um, you can catch the Bowser Doo-Wop show tomorrow. And uh, there's just so much going on at Mohegan Sun um, these days, so you'll enjoy yourself there. It's my pleasure to welcome back Dr. Mary Gina Ratchford. Dr. Ratchford is an ophthalmologist, a, an MD, who specializes in diseases of the eye. By way of full disclosure, she is my doctor, my wife's doctor, and my entire family's doctor. Um, and we actually uh, look forward to going to the Ratchford Eye Center. It's a wonderful facility, and uh, what a great staff. And, and I know that. I mean, let, I don't know if you can give a better recommendation. I'm a doctor, okay? I know how I like to be treated and how I like to treat my patients. And um, it's always a great experience. Uh, Mary Gina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for those kind words. Uh, it's really a beautiful office. It is. You know, I think my staff, uh, their heart is in the right uh, spot. They've been with me for I, over 20 years, many of them. And I think they really enjoy taking care of each one of their patients as individuals. And and, um, and you can tell. They love you, too. So They're, they're on time. <laughs> yeah. They're on time. Okay, Mostly. 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 Um, Let's talk a little bit about it. So you have an eye center. What's Explain to me what constitutes an eye center and maybe touch a little bit on the difference between ophthalmology, optometry, optician, because uh, I think you have like an optician who works there. We do. We do. So, you know, eye care, uh, as we cover, you know, the whole family, there's different age ranges. And as you get through your pediatric years, teenage years, mid-adult, you know, your eye needs do change. And so what we do try is to, you know, take care of each one of those age groups. Um, and there is a division of labor when you walk in the door. And there are certain uh, eye needs that are better suited by certain eye practitioners. So um, Dr. Chin and I are, are medical doctors. We've gone to medical school. We've done extra training training to take care of both medical and surgical uh, diseases of the eye. And so we mainly take care of those that are 55 and older group because that's where a lot of the diseases of the eye can you know, can occur. Um, those are more medical and surgical problems to handle. Now, that's not to minimize the comprehensive eye care because that preventative care is so very important. And that's where our optometrists can really uh, play a role in measuring you for glasses, making sure you get a good contact lens fit if that's what your desire is. And of course, the last piece of that is your eyewear. So we do have a, a fully operational optical center as well where we can also measure you and fit you in the proper pair of glasses if that's what you need. What's interesting is, I mean, there are really two groups of patients. We have very young people uh, with eye problems, usually children. Mm -hmm. And then, so there's almost, a, there's this middle ground, but you don't have, I don't think you have a lot of patients in the middle, like 30s and, and 40s, yes. except for regular eye exams. Right. So when you're uh, in elementary uh, middle and high school, that's often where a lot of those refractive issues can come into play. Do you need glasses to see the board? Do you need glasses to drive? And that can change as you get up through your teenage years. But you're right, it does level off, you know, in the mid-20s, mid-30s until you get into your 40s, and we all start to need reading glasses. Now, that's not to say that you can't develop, uh, if you're a diabetic, for example, and especially there's a uh, an increase in the number of young diabetics that we see that you definitely need to get your eyes checked even if you don't have any trouble seeing. Um, there are, 
is also, you know, dry eye and other eye you know, strain issues if you spend a lot of time on the screens, which I know kids of all ages do these days. So even though you don't have symptoms, it's still important to get your eyes checked for those types of issues as well. Uh, you mentioned the screen issues. Does a screen protector help? Or now I see people coming out of the eye doctor, quotes doctor, with special glasses for looking at their screen, um, even children now. Does that help? Again, if you have a refractive error, meaning your eye doesn't focus properly, and we can correct that refractive error with a pair of glasses, then that is necessary. Um, there is a big... Uh, these are like filters. Right. The blue blocking filter is the one filter that's gotten some some press. And there's no data that tells us that a blue blocking filter is going to protect your eye from eye disease. What it can do is it can alter the circadian rhythms. And so if you're using an iPad, for example, at night to sleep and you're, you know, or you're playing a game on your iPad or computer right before bedtime, it can really alter your sleep patterns. And that's where some of those blue blocking filters can be helpful. I've not found it to avoid headaches. I mean, people tell me all the time, well, I'm going to go get these glasses. I got these glasses so I won't get my migraine headaches. I've not found it to be helpful. Right. And I, I know uh, eye strain can be in, can definitely be present when you spend a lot of time on the computer. If that's your job and you're sitting still for 8 to 10 hours a day on the computer, and the eye strain may not be related to a focusing issue, in which case a pair of glasses would help. It may be from posture. It may be from your hunching over on your desk. It may be from dry eye. We know that when you're on the computer for a long time, your blink rate goes down. You can get some evaporation of your tears, and that can also be an issue in terms of having difficulty at the end of the day. But I would agree. I don't think that headaches from computer use are necessarily going to be treated with a pair of glasses. We're chatting with Dr. Mary Gina Ratchford of the Ratchford Eye Center. We're going to take a short break. I want to give everybody the phone numbers again so we can get kind of a longer segment in uh, in the second half at 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. Uh, it's 966-WTIC. So you can get in touch with us if you have questions about aging diseases of the eye. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about eye exercises, uh, if they help, and some new gene therapies that are out there that literally give people who are blind the ability to see. doesn't get much better than that. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. Welcome back to Healthy Rounds. And today we are discussing diseases of the eye with Dr. Mary Gina Ratchford of the Ratchford Eye Center. Um, for those of you who need the contact information, uh, the phone number for Ratchford Eye Center is 860-829-8939. And it's located at 1166 Farmington Avenue in Berlin, Connecticut. Uh, Mary Gina, just, we're going to get to questions. The board's lighting up, but... Uh, one of the questions actually is about irritation of the eyelid. Right, and right, so right. Uh, uh, let's let's grab that question first. Um, we have Steve from East Hartford. Uh, Steve, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me on. So, yeah, questions about an irritated eyelid. And, and it's interesting because eyelids are a whole nother thing in right. terms of um, laceration. In sports, we're taught 
to not just have the local ER guy sew an eyelid. Leave it alone and make sure an ophthalmologist or uh, an oculoplastic surgeon sews it up. Right, because right, and that's particularly if it if it crosses the lid margin, because the lid margin there's not only skin and lashes, uh, there's something called the tarsal plate. There are several glands, and the function of the eyelid can be affected if those margins aren't sewn together, you know, really precisely and expertly. Yeah. The other area that's a concern is the most nasal part of the lid, because that's where the tear duct system lies. There's two little openings in the eyelid, which then drain into uh, canaliculus, and then that is where the tears drain out. And so any laceration involving those structures, you have to pay attention to that tear duct system or else you're left with uh, constant tearing afterward. So, Steve, so we wanted to really get to your important. question. Yep. Thank you for the reminder, though, because we wanted to talk about the lid. So what was your question? Uh, well, it's my wife. She, uh, the, the, Her eyelid, um, her eye was getting a little bit, um, she, could, she was having... Uh, her vision wasn't doing very well last for about a week. And then she noticed her eyelids started getting uh, reddish. It's, it was in one corner. Now the whole eyelid was uh, just completely red. She's getting headaches from it. And she's having a little bit of a uh, hard time seeing out of that eye. And um, How old is your wife? Can, can we ask? How old is your wife? Yeah, she's 61. Has she been in otherwise good health? Uh, yes. Okay. She, um, she had the, a year ago. She had a detached retina on the other eye, mm-hmm. and, okay. uh, and that was she, they um, did some surgery. Um, All right. Okay. What do you think, Mary Jean? Yeah. Okay. So, just any change that affects your vision really should get immediate attention. You know, eyelids uh, issues can you know, really span a spectrum of things, uh, but. You know, symptoms that I hear about vision loss can make me more concerned that there's something going on more than just the eyelid. The other sort of red herring is if it's only on one eye and not the other, there could be something going on, you know, more than just through the eyelids. But just in general, you know, eyelids that become sort of red and chronically inflamed generally leads to a condition called blepharitis. And blepharitis is just another term for inflammation of the eyelids. And typically what happens, the lashes are right near the base of your eyelid and they do a great job in collecting skin. There's an overgrowth of bacteria. But just adjacent to the eyelashes are oil glands called meibomian glands and they can get congested. And if they're congested, it can make your vision blurry because you secrete a thick oil over your tear film. You can get low-grade inflammation and that really is sort of right at the lid margin. Some of the more conservative things we do to um, help treat it is a warm compress, um, 10 minutes on a warm towel or something over the counter that you can heat up in the microwave that you apply with some firm pressure can help thin out those oil glands. Even a lid scrub with a diluted solution of baby shampoo in the shower once or twice a day can also reduce that overgrowth of bacteria. In some cases, we need an antibiotic. Now, I think there's a lot of overuse of antibiotics these days, and sometimes it's just inflammatory in nature. It doesn't need an antibiotic. But in cases where there is significant overgrowth, um, you know, an antibiotic ointment uh, can be beneficial. Just as an aside, if it all is only on one side and causes vision changes, sometimes a um, a skin cancer can masquerade as sort of this chronic inflammation. And oftentimes, you know, if something is treated and doesn't get better, that is something that we do need to consider, particularly if it's just only on one side then uh, as another. Um, the last thing to mention is that you can sometimes get styes. Styes, you know, are, are pretty common happening. It's when those oil glands uh, get 
clogged and then infected, and you can almost get an abscess of that lid. Um, and that can actually press on the eye and cause a blurred vision change. So sometimes really getting rid of that bump can be a way to get the vision better again. Hey, Steve, thank you. Thanks for the yeah. call. Thank you very much. Uh, you're welcome, it. Steve. Yep. All right. Next, we have a question from Lou in Plainville. Uh, strabismus, eye exercises, or gene therapy? So uh, you had a question about strabismus, Lou. Yes, I can't. Uh, uh, I see double. Okay. One of my eyes points up, and they call it vertical strabismus, and there's no eye exercises for that. Okay. And I was wondering if there's any gene therapies. Okay. Um, so let's talk a little bit about strabismus in okay. general. Okay, yeah, so strabismus is just a general term for when your eyes don't work in a coordinated fashion. We often see these in uh, infants and young children as their visual system develops where uh, your eyes can either turn in, that's called esotropia, or turn out, uh, exotropia. And, and just as an aside, um, esotropia is one of those things that the, the pediatric ophthalmologists do like to treat earlier uh, rather than later, you know, within... Uh, you know, when you're before you turn one year old, just so that your visual system can develop properly, and your visual system does require input from both eyes in order to develop proper depth perception and good vision. The exotropia part, where your eyes turn out, um, that is one of those situations where eye exercises, in some cases, can be beneficial, where you sort of train your eyes to work together and to maintain fixation up close. Um, and the common exercise are called pencil push-ups, where you do kind of hold your focus up close uh, for you know extended period of time, sort of training your eyes to work uh, longer. But you're right. When you have an up-and-down double vision, that is much harder to remedy with uh, exercises, and so that may not be the route to go. I think the important thing is to figure out why do you have this double vision? Is it from trauma? Is there something wrong yeah, with it? Yeah, mine's from trauma. Okay. Yeah, so is it from brain trauma or eye trauma? No, I had an accident and I hit my head really yeah. hard. So it, typically, from as a neurologist, that when you see vertical strabismus or vertical diplopia, it's because of coordinating the muscles from the brain. So it's usually a brain issue, uh, in which case, uh, unfortunately, Lou, the exercises really don't help um, uh, from that standpoint. Right. And so Lou, the other thing you can try is something called prism glasses. Say, prisms yeah. Help. So the prisms can help keep your eyes straight. Um, they are almost look like a wedge that you can put into the glasses, but they do go a long way in at least keeping your eyes straight for, you know, kind of looking straight ahead. Um, so that's certainly yep, that's something you can now. consider. Great. That, that's probably the best way to go, Lou. And we're going to talk a little bit about gene therapy in a little bit. But listen, thank you for your call. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, I was wondering also about stem cells. Does yeah. You know about we're we're going to talk. Help? All right. We're going to talk about that as well. Okay, um, in our next segment, and uh, but we, I've not found it to be specifically helpful for this. But we'll talk a little bit about it. Listen, thank you for calling, Lou. Yes, thank you. Uh, let's grab Ed from Middletown. Ed, you've been patient. You had a question about the relationship between vision and suicide. Yes. Good. Uh, good morning, doctors. Thank good morning. you for the opportunity. Sure. Talk to you. Uh, my age group, I see a lot of people uh, uh, losing their sight, and I kind of have a two-part question. The first part is, 
if eventually you start to lose your sight, is there any protocol, psychologically speaking, where they try to guide you into what's going to happen? And the second part is, is there a relationship between people losing their sight and suicide? And I'm going to hang up and listen. Thank okay. you very okay. much. Hey, thank, thank you very so much. much. Yeah. That brings up an interesting it issue. It really there. does, yeah. Um, and it's not some of the things that we always talk about. So, of course, as as we all get older, uh, you know, the, the thought of losing the eyesight can be very, very devastating, especially, I don't know how old you are, <laughs> sir, but I'm going to just speak to the, the elderly population where, you know, you start to see some of your faculties fail. And you, there's a real fear of losing independence, becoming uh, you know, dependent on your family. There can be some financial worries, you know, where are you going to live? How are you going to get around? And so, you know, certainly there's a, a, a fear there. Now, not every elderly person will go completely blind and there are, you know, visual impairments and then visual loss. But let's just take this scenario where, you know, macular degeneration is a very good example where folks can go legally blind from macular degeneration. And legally blind for someone like that would mean that, you can't read, but you still have some peripheral vision. And there are ways to take advantage of the vision that you don't have left. And I, I think, you know, one of the the, the things that um, is to, you know, get regular eye checkups, even through your 40s and 50s and 60s. So as best we can prevent and treat earlier those diseases that then may, you know, keep you from losing eyesight in the end. That includes something uh, glaucoma as well, which some of the early symptoms cannot be there. And you don't know you have the disease until you've already got visual impairment. There are a lot of support networks for those that do have visual impairment, and that includes both nationwide and in the state of uh, Connecticut. One of the things that um, we can offer are low vision aids through either the Lions Club, uh, which is a, a wonderful organization. It's a nonprofit organization that can really help folks to have, you know, visual aids that can help you to read, to get through your mail, to, you know, write your checks properly. Uh, there are a lot of uh, ride services that can help those that can't see to get back and forth to doctor's appointments, um, and, and to really try to keep as independent as possible. Uh, there isn't the State Commission of the Blind that can come into your home and also, um, you know, see how you can cook safely, see if there's a way to prevent a fall, you know, see if there's a way to really, you know, kind of keep you socially engaged. So I, I don't think that, uh, you know, vision loss necessarily means end of life. There certainly are adjustments. Uh, but to speak to your point about suicide, there's definitely a relationship between, you know, vision loss, depression, anxiety, um, you know, loss of, uh, you know, so sort of withdrawal. And I think that's where, you know, the ophthalmologist in coordination with your primary care doctor and really the support network and whatever that means in your family uh, can kind of help, you know, keep somebody with a very active life. Yeah, it's it really, it comes down to a lot of uh at least in neurology as well as in ophthalmology, uh, loss of driving privileges That's a are, big one. are a, it's big a big deal yeah. because you've lost a lot of your independence and, and your mobility and really have to adapt to that. And, right. and, and that's where we really get into that. Uh, we're going to take a short break and then we're going to get back and talk about the future of ophthalmology and some of the new therapies out there. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds in our final segment with Dr. Mary Gina Ratchford of the Ratchford Eye Center. Um, 
860-829-8939 is the phone number for the Ratchford Eye Center. Mary Gina, before, you know, we've kind of got sidetracked a little bit with some of those questions, which were good. But I want to talk a little bit about gene therapy and gene editing that's recently come into the press over the last few months. We have our first drug approved from the FDA, Luxturna, which is injected into the eye and apparently corrects an abnormality in a gene. So let's think about the gene. A gene is a menu to produce a protein. Correct. And with that, uh, there's a problem with the eye. Can you talk a little bit about the condition and how this fixes the problem? Right. So, you know, the eye is actually a really great place to study the genetics um, and particularly the retina. The retina has many proteins who have very defined jobs, so to speak. And there's been a lot of research in a few diseases in particular to really identify, you know, which exact protein is wrong. And these include things like retinitis pigmentosa and Leber's congenital amaurosis, which is the disease that got this uh, Luxturna as a as a method of treatment, and what goes wrong in Leber's congenital amaurosis is a gene in something called the retinal pigment epithelium, uh, which is a very important structure in the retina. And there's a gene that is just doesn't work, and it's called the RPE65 gene. And what the researchers have found out is they can put this gene in a viral vector. So it's a virus that they modify that will just deliver this gene to this retinal pigment epithelium. And what the doctors do is they stick a needle into the eye under anesthesia, of course, and inject a small amount of this viral vector underneath the retina. And as the gene becomes incorporated into the retinal pigment epithelium, it can start to produce the protein that wasn't there before. Um, And it's just so exciting that we can even identify and then help treat. So it's not a very invasive procedure. And it's been studied on uh, patients from age 4 to 44, depending on when they were diagnosed. And in some cases, people have really gotten to see, you know, things that they could never see before. They could see people's faces. They could, uh, in some cases, read. Uh, you know, not everybody gets a 20-20 vision um, and I guess as we learn how early in the disease we need to intervene, you know, what's the best way to uh, keep a sustained effect, um, it's really, I think, going to revolutionize how we treat you know, certain genetically-based eye diseases. Uh, it's amazing when you, when you read some of the stories. I mean, these are people who can see the stars for the first time Correct. and yep. see the sun for the first time. Uh, and I said that that's got to be just so rewarding from the standpoint of someone who could never see that before now seeing that. Uh, and a grant, as you mentioned, it's a, it's a small group of patients. But w- one of the topics for debate has been the cost. I mean, it's $425,000 per eye right. for the treatment. Right. And, you know, how do you put a price on, you know, someone's vision? How do you put a price on, you know, giving a four-year-old the ability to have a really productive life uh, when you've got the, you know, this gene therapy that's safe. It's, you know, fairly straightforward. You know, we know it works. There's minimal side effects. Um, and, you know, how, how do we really, especially in these days where every healthcare dollar is so important, you know, are we as a society willing to put, you know, 
uh, enough priority on people's eyesight or any kind of genetic therapy for that matter to really, you know, to really make it work. Yeah, and I think part of the controversy has been that this is not a $10 drug that somebody decided to charge uh, $600 for, like the EpiPen controversy. Right. Um, this is a drug that has taken 20 years to develop. Right. 20 years of, I mean, that's a career for some PhDs to develop one drug. And all the data that we can learn from this particular disease. And, you know, there's other diseases that, you know, can can learn from this, like retinitis pigmentosa, which arguably affects more folks sure. than Leber's congenital amaurosis. And you know, can we modify even the disease process, for example, in diabetes and macular degeneration? Can we modify, you know, some of the... Uh, disease components of that, that we can also do gene therapy, you know, for something as common as diabetes. And, you know, getting the information and learning the process can be part of the investment return that we get, you know, from treating someone with this disease. Uh, I guess one of the questions I had, is it one injection or is it a series of injections? You know, that's one of the things that the doctors are working on. You know, one injection can have up to a two-year effect. Okay. And it depends on how many uh, cells are haven't died off yet. So if you're 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 fixing the RPE, you still have to have that information get to the photoreceptor. That photoreceptor then has to get information to the brain. So even if you fix the RPE, if you don't have that relay system to get to the brain, then you still may not get the visual outcome. So you know how long, how many injections do people need? How early in the disease do you need to intervene? I think are questions that are still out there. Uh, I guess the and then. There was a question Lou had about stem cells. Right. I, I, stem cells have really not played a role in this. No, no. So. Stem cells, you know, if you provide the substrate or the, you know, the mechanics of, um, you know, some of the other cells that can be, that are diseased in the eye, but that is a whole different, you know, sort of right. ball game when it comes to gene therapy. You know, it's really just modifying what your, you know, what your genetic uh, makeup did not give you to begin with. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Mary Gina, listen, thank you. Uh, thank you so thank much. Thank you for spending time with us today and bringing all this information to our listeners. Uh, and more importantly, thanks to you and your staff uh, for everything you do for our patients. Oh, thank you. It's always a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Dr. Alessi. Many thanks to our studio producer. Mike Olko has been on the board today. Jeff Chandler is in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. Uh, next week on Healthy Rounds, we have a half-hour program that I've pre-recorded since I will be with the National Football League Players Association uh, working at their collegiate bowl. So if you get a chance, you can tune into that. Uh, I'll be in Los Angeles with them. As always, uh, next up on WTIC, you're going to hear Garden Talk with Len. Please remember to help save lives. You can do that today by becoming an organ, eye, and tissue donor. Just go over to www.registerme.org and make sure you sign up to be an organ donor. Until next week, this is Dr. Anthony Alessi. Please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi and is sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Big Y Pharmacy and Wellness Center, Ratchford Eye Center, Coveris, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC, News Talk 1080, and WTIC.com. Until then, stay well.